I'm so glad that I was able to get in contact with uh, Bill Konkoleski. He's the Michigan MUFON director. I had a, a weird thing that I spotted, and then Bill asked me if he would, if he, if I'd mind having him on the show. And I thought, well, yeah, I'd love to have him. It's been nine years. <laughs> I oh. guess I haven't been keeping track of time. And he's been with the Michigan MUFON. He's been the director. I don't know how long. We're going to find out. How you doing, Bill? Great. Um, thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm glad you decided to join me. And how long have you been the director? Uh, since 2004. So wow. right now, 18 years. Yeah. What made I've you? I've been with MUFON since 93 and then, yeah, state director since 2004. And what initially made you want to be connected to MUFON? I had a sighting that uh, I didn't know what to do with, and it was my senior year of high school. Me and two buddies were in a Chevette, um, in my buddy's Chevette, waiting for this girl to come home from work um, one night. Um, and it was dark. It was February of 1989. And while we were sitting there in the car, we all three witnessed the same thing, this blue ball of light drifted slowly over the car and the, the light itself was about car sized. And then when that uh, arced over the car and disappeared, then a white ball of light zigzagged ping ponged across the entirety of the sky very rapidly. And then um, that disappeared. And then a red ball of light appeared in the center of the sky grew to about the size of a full moon, which is very large. And then, um, shrank and then disappeared and so one of my friends says hey we should tell the police about this and we were high school seniors at the time and my other friend says you really want to tell the police we, you know they're going to think that you know we're uh, doing something funny yeah, right. and, or playing a joke and then so the other friend says oh well maybe we should tell uh, um, Selfridge Air National Guard Base which is close by and this sighting was in Sterling Heights, uh, Michigan. And uh, then I'm like, okay, wait a second. So you don't want to tell the police, but you're going to tell the military. And so, you know, we didn't know who to tell. And I didn't know about the Mutual UFO Network, which has been around since 1969. But, you know, this was pre-internet. And um, I found out a few years later the organization existed. I went to them. Um, the state director at the time, Shirley Coyne, um, mentioned my sighting. This was 1993, and I was impressed um, how respectfully and thoroughly they looked into that sighting of mine and other things uh, strange that I'd seen uh, that I shared with them. And so I'm like, wow, this is great. And I joined right away. And, um, you know, all these years later, nearly 30 years later, uh, I'm still I'm more active than ever right now. Do you feel like people are the reports increasing? Uh, and is there any? Do you have any idea how many like reports you average hearing a year? Maybe I don't know if you have those numbers. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we get about two hundred sightings uh, a year, and um, they uh, are spread out throughout the year. There isn't a particular. Uh, season or you know time of year where we tend to get more sightings than the rest it's pretty constant all year and you know maybe we'll get like an extra sighting or two around the 4th of July but um, otherwise <laughs> understandably but otherwise it's pretty consistent and not only that um, it seems to be spread across the state pretty evenly um, and 
what will happen is if you um, pull up our software and say, hey, give me the last 100 sightings, um, you always get a population map, as in wherever there are more people, there are more sightings. Wherever fewer people live, fewer sightings. So it seems to indicate that, you know, not, uh, you know, the, the takeaway I don't think is that there are more UFO sightings near Detroit than, you know, the middle of the state. I think it's just that the sightings are pretty even all over the place and it just happens to be, you know, the number of people reporting or it's just based upon the number of people that live in a particular area and then get their sightings to us. Would you say that there's an increase in sightings or? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, no, no, actually, I, I don't think so. Um, the In 2010, we sort of perfected our uh, reporting database. We'd had, uh, you know, up until about 2000, it was all pretty much um, paper files. And in 2000, we developed uh, an online reporting system and a way to save reports. But uh, in 2010, um, that got a... Uh, a nice bump, a nice upgrade. And so I look back to 2010 and yeah, it seems pretty consistent every year, about 2,200 sightings, pardon me, in Michigan, um, just in the state of Michigan since that time. There've been a few years where there've been bumps. Um, in fact, 2014, we got um, 412 sightings, wow. um, which was a major increase. But that year, um, Chinese lanterns, uh, sky lanterns, if you will, were all the rage. And people were, you know, basically, all you need is a candle and a little plastic bag, and there you go. Send it up in the sky. People see it and say, oh, wow, look, it's, you know, it's silent. It's, <laughs> you know, it's just floating through the air. That can't be an airplane. And the light on it is strobing, you know, even though flickering is probably a better way to describe it. And, and if say, you know, these things were cheap. I know um, there was a local furniture store selling them for $1.99 a piece back then. So um, just, you know, it's, why, why send up one when you can send up a whole bunch? And so you send up three and then people say, I saw a triangle in the sky, yeah. <laughs> you know, because their mind connects the dots or, you know, why not send up 20 if you can afford it? And then somebody says, look at this UFO fleet in the sky. How scary. I got it on video. So that was a huge year for that. And then when people started to figure out what those were, the numbers started to drop. And then a couple of years later, we got a spike because of drones uh, becoming uh, more readily available. And of course, those can do interesting maneuvers. Those have interesting light patterns on them oftentimes. And, and if somebody can't determine how far away the drone is from them, then, you know, they could they could think that they're seeing something much larger than what they're actually seeing. And then most recently, the, the big spike that we got, um, and it coincided with everybody uh, being at home uh, due to COVID and having more time to look up into the sky, um, particularly at night, um, the Starlink satellite program mm. introduced by SpaceX and yep. Elon Musk um, the satellites, when they launch up, they're in a chain and it looks like a fleet of UFOs, uh, flying saucers. And if you are unfamiliar with what, what these things look like, you just go to YouTube and type in Starlink satellites and you'll see exactly why everybody thinks these are flying saucers. And, and, you know, in, and interestingly, the people don't seem to, to, 
learn uh, about that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like, you, they're aware of Starlink satellites, and then they'll see them, and then they'll report them as UFOs. And and you say to them, oh, yeah, these are Starlink satellites, and they're like, oh, I knew what those were. I just didn't know that this was that. Yeah. like, okay. You know, the good thing about it, though, Bill, is that you – Obviously, just by describing how you, you have all these different things that people see that are not UFOs, for people not familiar mm-hmm. with MUFON and all the different states in the country, it's a pretty thorough investigative group, isn't it? Oh, oh certainly. There's nobody like us. Um, you know, there, you know it's, a, it's a curious thing. You can find a ghost investigation group on every block, um, but there's really only one group like MUFON. There's other groups. There's, you know, that you can report UFOs to, but I mean, MUFON's in over 40 countries. We have over 4,000 members and we have a team of well-trained investigators and they do some really impressive work in any given year. Say, you know, out of that 200 sightings, roughly we get in a year, we can identify about 95% of what comes into us. I mean, we're, we're not looking at everything and saying, oh, that's, you know, anomalous. Oh, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, from another planet, or though that's a secret military craft. No, we just, you know, we identify almost everything that comes into us. And then, say out of that 200 sightings, 95% means there's 10 maybe every given year that we just don't know what it is. You know, we stop at the water's edge. We don't try to, you know, it's just unknowable. We don't know what it is. And, you know, that's certainly the fun stuff, if you will, the stuff that keeps you investigating is that small number of really strange cases that that you can't identify. The challenge of, you know, really putting a sighting through the ringer and then coming out at the end and saying, wow, I still don't know what that is. And, you know, and and the thing is, like the late Stanton Friedman, a great UFO investigator, researcher, lecturer, etc., yeah, you know, he had a great quote. He's like, you know, really, all you need is one good sighting. All you need is one to be authentic, and there you go. Then you know, that's it. Then th- that that proves this phenomena is is you know, um, say extraterrestrial, as I think he was getting at in that case. What do you think your sighting was labeled as? Um. Well, it was it was unknown. Um, it was, you know, they did a paper version of my report, and the um, Shirley and her husband um, George they um, are now passed away, and a lot of their materials were discarded and not passed along back into the MUFON group. And so, you know, I don't know really whatever happened to my report, but you know, I mean, she she told me that you know it it clearly wasn't anything identifiable. You didn't think it was swamp gas? <laughs> no. You know, swamp gas, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's what a lot of people don't realize when you bring up swamp gas. Um, <laughs> in <laughs> Yeah, Michigan's not only the Great Lakes state, we're also the swamp yeah. gas state. Um, so um, recently the congressional hearings on UFOs that just happened Tuesday, um, That w- what would have been the date on that? The 17th, I think? Um, they had said, you know, uh, this was the first open hearings on UFOs in over 50 years. And those hearings that they talk about being 50 some years ago, um, were because of the UFO sightings here in Southeastern Michigan, 
1966. Dexter, Hillsdale, other areas local to here, um, hundreds of witnesses to UFOs. Uh, reportedly, one of the UFOs uh, landed in a, a swampy field in Dexter. And, and at Hillsdale College, 89 witnesses to a UFO landing uh, on the property of the, the campus. So there were, um, you know, there was a lot of attention to UFOs back then and, you know, Project Blue Book, they sent out J. Allen Hynek, the chief scientific advisor, who spent a couple days looking into it, held the press conference at the Detroit Press Club and said his infamous, yeah, maybe it was marsh gas or swamp gas that some of these people were seeing. And so, uh, and then a lot of people got up in arms about that. Um, thinking that the government and the military weren't being straight with them. And of course, what do you do when you think that's the case? The government isn't being straight with you. You write your congressman. And Gerald Ford was a congressman here in Michigan at that time. And he sent a letter on to Congress saying, hey, you know, there should be uh, some hearings on this. <laughs> and they did. They, they, they held hearings because of Gerald Ford. And that was the last open congressional hearings on UFOs all because of the sightings in southeastern Michigan. You know, and I, it's obviously the, they've been, for my perfect, uh, the way I see it is that um, they've been covering this up. And there's a lot of military people who I think are some of the best credentialed people. They've come forward over the years and said things. And if anybody's going to have credibility, pilots and whatever, people that have, you know, they're not, they're going to label people right away. Do you think that they're becoming more accepting? Do you think the, our society in general is becoming more accepting of this? In many ways, yeah. Um, uh, for for one thing, um, there seems to be uh, a loosening of um, cultural judgment of any uh, lifestyle or any interest somebody seems to have seems to be acceptable. You know, obviously there are some things that uh, people, you know, still dislike greatly, but I mean, just, you know, all these things, interests that people have now that um, they can go online, um, find other like-minded people and, and discuss whatever they're into. And the scientific community is showing that the possibility of life out in space is, is very probable. <laughs> Um, you know, with the Hubble and Kepler space telescopes now replaced by the Webb telescope, you know, these space telescopes finding all of these planets out in space that are potentially habitable, um, you know, just means that you know, several decades ago, people were saying, well, we don't even know if there's other planets out there be beyond the solar system. Now, we not only have all a great wealth of planets, but can identify that some of them are, are potentially habitable. So there is cause, there is that possibility that in one of these worlds um, that there's, there's life. And now also technology catching up here. Um, people say, oh, you know, there's no good, you know, if all these UFOs are, are in our skies, how come nobody has any good cell phone photos or cell phone videos? Well, MUFON has a lot of really good cell phone footage. And, uh, you know, I share some of them in uh, presentations I do on occasion. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I think the direction is all moving towards 
the acceptance that there might be life visiting here and evidence that that may just be happening. Well, and then I think also, you know, the biggest reason people say, well, there's no pictures. Well, mainstream media has not embraced it as of yet. So if they were to ever do that, and I got to believe they're told not to, um, mm-hmm. that things will change in a hurry. But I, I remember there was some kind of poll, and the polls are always changing. But it was like 60-some mm-hmm. percent of people in this poll I read believe that we were visited in the past by beings from other places. So that really has changed a lot compared to what it used to be. Now, I just want to talk about a couple other things, unless there's more you want to say right now, Bill. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Now, you, you heard my story. I went into probably too long of detail <laughs> about the plane I saw um, a couple of weeks ago driving home, and, and then it reali- I realized later that, okay, that was a big plane, I mean, you know, not a huge, but a, a typical passenger-sized plane that would land in a place like Escanaba. And I got a good profile view of it. And it took me several seconds to get to that spot when I first spotted it, and it wasn't that far away from me. So I realized afterwards, it's almost like I was looking at it and was frozen because I had just such a nice view of it. And normally when you're moving one way and something else is moving the opposite way, you probably wouldn't have much of a good glance at something like that. And so I definitely saw the plane, which I thought maybe is military. And then I started thinking, well, what if that's connected to a UFO or something somehow? It just seemed weird. And then I contacted you and you told me a story. Now, I didn't know the details of the men involved seeing this, but what are your thoughts on what I saw? What do you think that could be? Probably several different things, right? Well, as much as you describe it right now over the phone, um, the one of the things, and, and this is something I've experienced myself, though certainly you, what you spotted was a little bit different than what I'm about to describe. When you're traveling in the same direction as an aircraft, sometimes it can appear to, if you catch it from the right angle of approach, um, it can appear still in the sky. It, it's a it's a really spooky optical illusion. Uh, and but uh, you you say that you were traveling in the opposite direction of it. That is correct. I was traveling, and mm-hmm. it was only about three blocks from me. Maybe I'm trying to look out and, and picture how big it was. And I would say it couldn't have been any more than a quarter mile or three three four blocks away. And I would guess. I, I kind of looked to see where the trees were, although this was a field, but I would guess 200, at the very most, 300 feet off the ground. Uh, so really low for a passenger jet. And I, I don't remember seeing the windows, but I saw it was all one color. It was kind of a duller, maybe grayish color. There was no markings at all on the plane. I mean, again, I only looked at it for like a brief second, so maybe I got it all mm-hmm. wrong. But I seem to remember that quite clearly that I could, it's almost like it was showing itself to me. And it's almost like time slowed down for just a moment. Cause I've gone by that every day and I glance over and I think, how did I see that? You know, cause you're driving, you don't want to go off the road. And I had such a clear view of it. And uh, go ahead. What do you think with that? That could be offhand. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing is that, you know, if we could determine the exact time of the sighting, um, Probably about uh, there is 315, somewhere in there. Okay. 
So I could actually, I, I'm not sure if I could go back that far. I probably can uh, with uh, some of the, there are a number of apps out there that uh, track aircraft. Um, and so you can determine if there was something in the air at that time traveling in that direction. And, you know, then that would be, you know, an, a nice, simple, easy solution to it. Um, and, and I would say most, the most likely um, scenario is that it was some sort of just normal aircraft, nothing unusual. However, you know, I can't, you know, make that full determination without going digging in a little bit deeper, you know, checking, um, you know, to see if there was an aircraft in the sky at that time traveling in that direction. Because if there wasn't, um, you know, uh, then that things get a little bit more interesting. And I will say that I am aware of a case. Um, this actually happened back in the 1990s. Two gentlemen that I know um, very well, um, and and both trained investigators within MUFON. Um, one of them was, in fact, our assistant state director um, at one time yeah, for Michigan MUFON. Um, they had spotted uh, a, a craft in the air, a plane. It looked just like a plane, but, yeah, it, it, it wasn't moving, and then it would move a little bit, and this sort of strange incremental flight pattern. And, and as they're watching it... Um, one of the guys says to the other and says, he's like, y you know, that looks like an airplane, but it's moving kind of funny. And then the other guy points out, he's like, look, you know, the uh, green light is on the left and the red light is on the right wing of the plane, which is the opposite that it should be. And when he said that, the lights switched wow. and corrected themselves. <laughs> so, so that one's, so, so that, that almost got a little extra something. That almost makes it sound like, well, it's got to be something other than what it would be a craft that we would have, unless there's craft we're not aware of. But this thing could hear their, them talking from a distance away, somehow picked up yeah, on what. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, and then that it, would be a remarkable coincidence if, so, it, if it wasn't just the way it is right after he said it. Is it in a way, because this is what I thought about what I saw, I thought maybe it was a military, because it was flying low. You, you had mentioned that it could be a regular plane, but wouldn't a regular plane get in trouble for flying that low? I, 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 well, you know, depending on how close it was landing. Um, I mean, it was but, still 13 miles away from the nearest airport. Mm -hmm. is it, well, how high would you estimate that it was flying? Again, I say... 200 feet, maybe at the very most 300. I mean, just not far above the trees. Yeah, that's 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 not right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I looked for reports yeah. to see if there were any planes in trouble, and I even tried to call the local um, airport, but I didn't. I got a machine, so I thought, well, I don't know if I really want to be known. <laughs> you know, I was like, how far do I want to dig into this? But um, they... Uh, this plane, I mean, to me, I, I know the FAA would probably be all over that if you're that low, right? Yeah, you'd think. You know, I, I live actually close to a small airport, and I see uh, low-flying planes all the time. And, you know, I, I just wonder if there was a place that plane could be potentially landing that it wasn't isn't the airport that you'd think it would be you know, going into. Well, but we're, I suppose you know your neighborhood fairly we're, well. We're pretty sparse up here, you know? Mm -hmm. And we only have so many airports. <laughs> we, only, we only have mm -hmm. like a handful of legitimate airports. 
There's some really, really small ones. But that would be for the little biplanes. This, you know, this is like a passenger plane. And it's yeah, going to need... Then, then there you go, yeah. It's going to mm-hmm. need a place like Escanaba, Marquette, Iron Mountain. There's a few airports like that up here, not a lot. And it mm-hmm. was several miles away from any one of those. So to be that low, you either have engine trouble, and which it wasn't going down towards the ground, and it wasn't going up in the air. It was just leveled off flat from what I could see oh. of it. And again, it appeared like it wasn't moving. And I thought... It took me, when I first spotted it, uh, I saw it, and I counted. I've gone that route many times since, and I've counted. And the very next time I would have saw it would have taken me six seconds. And I didn't. See, it wasn't that far away when I first saw it. So tell me that it's going the opposite direction as me. In six seconds, that should have been way beyond where I saw it. For, at that next mm-hmm. location, at least from my estimate. But what do I know? I'm just guessing from the ground. But my point is, it's. I think it could be, you had mentioned that it could be maybe a military, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe a drone that I'm not aware of. Although the drones have mm-hmm. a unique shape, but maybe there's ones I'm not aware of. Or it could be a cloaking, it's a possibility it could be a cloaking UFO, right? Yeah, yeah, all of those things are, are possibilities. And, you know, as an investigator, there's, you know, basically we investigate one possible answer. And then when that's not the case, you know, move on to the next one. But it's a fairly big jump from whether or not it's just a regular airplane to what else it could be. Because, uh, you know, there's, no, you know, it's it's not like drones are, are trackable. Um, and it's not like you'd be able to, to, to locate the flight patterns of top-secret military aircraft right. and, and, and anything more mysterious than that, you know, then, then, then yeah, who knows? Yeah. It'll probably, it, 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 it'll mm-hmm. probably remain a mystery uh, unless, you know, things come forward. But, and maybe, like, like you said, maybe it's really nothing. In 2007... I was driving home, and this is not far again from where I saw this. It was maybe a couple of miles. But this time it was on the left, the southern, southwestern, looking southwest, just above the tree line. I just glanced up. It was very sunny, and it was at that time of the year when the sun, I would be heading home probably about 4 or so in the afternoon, and the sun was just a little blinding when you looked at it. But I, I couldn't see this craft until it turned it's like it was invisible. And when it turned, it was silver metallic. And then I, hmm. I would catch just a little bit of it, and I followed it probably for two, three miles. And there's a casino uh, about 13 miles west of here, a couple miles before my house. And I was still tracking it, and it was just barely above the trees. This was even lower than the one I saw the other day. And it was not very big. And again, I saw it when it just turned a little bit, the silver metallic. Now, there's a friend of mine that used to be in the Air Force, and he said that planes are not allowed to have a silver metallic color because it can blind other planes. Is that an accurate statement that you know of? Um, I, yeah, I believe that to be true. Yeah, they have to have some sort of matte finish to them. And so I, I don't know what it was, but it was almost like it was invisible, and yet I would see it for just a moment when it would make a little turn or something, so... I don't know what it is. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Yeah, it, it's certainly uh, um, the way you describe it, not easy to explain. Um, 
and uh, you know, probably not very easy to develop enough added details to to put an explanation to it. Have you had? Um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh no, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, have you had people that have reported items that appeared to be cloaked and then became uncloaked? Have you ever ran into that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, definitely. Um, there's uh, this uh, great um, one that was out of, I think it was Sweden, and, and and certainly there's more local ones than this. But I remember the the artist uh, who had the sighting um, did a, sort of a, a like a storyboard of the the UFO flying through the air and then disappearing. And the way it disappeared was that it sort of went into um, a portal and then it was it was not seen after that um the images from that have been circulating around for a while but yeah it, it seems to be that um um sometimes these things sometimes like you'll there was a, a report i remember um several years ago of a craft um that would uh, appear and then disappear not just not just simply like lights on lights off because it did have lights um, it was opaque, blocking out the sky, and then it would disappear, and the sky would be there, and then it would come on again. Wow. So the UFO itself was blinking on and off as it flew through the sky. Do you think that, uh, Bill, that maybe our government, some of these things are government craft, and they have technology that we're just not aware of? Yeah, there's there's a couple good, solid reasons to think that. One is that um, there's a whole lot of black budget money going somewhere in our government. And uh, this would be a very reasonable guess to think that a lot of it is being directed towards exotic aircraft that they're just not sharing with us yet. And they've always, you know, they've always got to be thinking of how to improve their aircraft so they don't fall behind militarily um, behind, say, Russia or China. You know, they you, you got to think they've always looking to push the boundaries of, of what's possible with aircraft and you know certainly the place to do that is you know behind the curtain um, with a black budget supporting it so there, there's reasons to think that um, if the government doesn't have something you know that can uh, fly at ridiculous speeds and make 90 degree turns that they're they're trying their hardest to, to create something like that and the the other part of this is that that I was pointing to is that, okay, so we went to the moon, right, 1969, and and you look at what the space program has done in the 50-plus years since then. I mean, we still have rockets very similar to what we used back in I the know. 60s. And, 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 you know, the biggest deal, okay, so we had the, the International Space Station, so we got this share time floating around in orbit. That's yeah. kind of nice, I guess. And the space shuttle was fine. But you would think, okay, so you look at, so if you look at computers, what computers look like yeah. in 1969, and you look at what computers look like in 2022, that's an insane same jump <laughs> yeah. you, you know my my wristwatch is a computer is more powerful than the things that would take up a whole room back in the 60s so you'd have to think well if technology in general and just you know mass market technology has improved 
at at such a rate over the last 50 years where is where is that exhibiting itself in the aircraft you know in the aerospace field you don't see it i mean you you see improvements but not like nothing on parallel with you know like just mass market uh technology that you have so i i gotta believe that you know some dedicated minds um with the right black budget are are have created some really phenomenal things that we have no idea about you know there's and been... i'll just add go ahead oh okay i'm sorry no, go ahead. one last thing is that for anyone who thinks that it's conspiratorial thinking that the government has secret aircraft that they don't share with us note that the stealth helicopter did not exist until it crashed in pakistan when they were going after bin laden and then mm. they're like oh yeah we have a stealth helicopter mm. so it's real. They do create aircraft they don't tell the public about. You know, and I guess what I also I was kind of leaning towards with this question is that there have been those, I think some of the military, that have said that we actually have had bases on the moon and we've traveled beyond the moon. And have you heard any reference to that? That's probably not stuff you investigate. What is your feeling on any of that technology? Yeah, outer space is kind of beyond uh, <laughs> the scope of easy investigation. But uh, and and I'm I'm not the key person to look at um, a lot of these conspiracy theories uh, very deeply. And when I say conspiracy, I'm not putting a judgment on true or not true. Um, just giving a, a title that is readily recognizable. Um, but you know, there are a lot of great people that look into this. And when I see some of the um, stories that they have, um, the things that they, you know, they, they said they've uncovered, you know, I, you know, I, I would believe I would like, if somebody said to me in 1969, before I was born, um, <laughs> you know, after we landed on the moon. So do you think in 50 years, if, uh, that we're, we're not going to be floating around within the, the solar system, or do you think that in 50 years, we'll, we're going to be, you know, buzzing around the solar system? You know, and I would say, well, yeah, of course we're going to be flying around the solar system. That's 50 years from now. We just landed on the moon. And so <laughs> those stories are match expectations of where we should be right now. And so then if it matches expectation, is it possible that we created technology in that time frame? Yes. Um, motivated minds, black budget, secretive. Sure. Very easily, I think that something like that could have been done. And with these stories that support it, like that McKinnon, uh, that hacker out of England that found uh, the files uh, on a U.S. Uh, defense computer that said that we, in fact, do have a space fleet, um, mm. maybe. Mm. You know, I, 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 it's not my field, and there's right. no need to, for me to investigate it. But it, 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 I, would, I, I don't dismiss it out of hand because it just it makes sense. Well, let me ask you this, if you don't mind. Because I'm guessing you probably, mm -hmm. you know, there's some supposedly famous incidents, and I, w I wanted to get your opinion on what you think if these if there's anything legit to these, um, and maybe you haven't looked into them much, but going back to one of the earliest ones, Roswell, do you think there was anything that happened with that? Yeah, 75th anniversary of Roswell, um, the exact date, in fact, coming up in in just a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I think the the volume of witnesses and the way their stories match up, um, there's enough there 
um, that that seems to support something happened, you know, right down to the the way the military first promoted the story and then tried to backtrack on it. It seems very suspect. Um, and yeah, you know, it was you know, 75 years ago, obviously a very long time, and uh, you know, I don't know um, if there's any firsthand witnesses around still that would be able to, to say anything meaningful on it at, at this time. But yeah, I, you know, I, I do, um, what about I do that, think that there's something to it. That incident, I can't remember the name of the town, but in Missouri, there was supposed to be one, I think it was Missouri in 1941, there was an incident, something crashed. You know which one I'm talking about? Does that ring a bell? You know, it does. There's there's a lot more crash retrieval stories than than most people know, and I'm and and that one sounds familiar, but I am a, a bit foggy on okay. it. What about um, Kecksburg? Do you remember the Kecksburg story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, this sort of acorn thing dropped down, and the military rushed in and and uh, departed with it, and they said it was. Um, some Russian um, space debris coming back in. Um, yeah, that one that that one's uh, pretty weird. I think what you know the fingerprints on uh, on it being um, potentially anomalous are, are, are with the, the government again <coughs> um, being so secretive about it. Sure, maybe it was a Russian thing, um, and if it was a Russian thing. Uh, Maybe they would have wanted to display it, say, "Hey, Russia, we got your stuff," you know, to the public, right. and it would be like a, um, it, it would be like a, you know, a PR boost for our country to say that you know we captured this, you know, this Russian thing, rather than have it completely disappear and nobody ever see it again. That's kind of strange. That is, I hear you, and I, you know, I, I don't know if you know Stan Gordon out of Pennsylvania. You must have run into. Oh him. yeah. So oh I, yeah, very well. I've interviewed Stan mm-hmm. before, and and I thought he's done a lot of research on that. You know where he's looked at. What do you got over there? You bringing me stuff? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. She's you bringing me stuff. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. They're bringing me food here, Stan. <laughs> so I could thank you. Oh, was, nice. Yeah, they had a little get together, but I was going to interview, you and I said, nope, I've got things to do around here. <laughs> So I'm probably about ten hours away, but you can bring me some. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mail it out to you. How's that? I'm sure you'll get it. So I thought it was interesting the research that he seems like he's done a lot of research on, on that and several other things. Um, he really knew yeah. his, his then, Go ahead. Yeah, with Stan Gordon, the UFOs and Bigfoot. Uh, there's nobody else out there can touch the research he's done and uh, the, the accounts he's collected. So. I just guess I wanted to get your take on it because you, you're a guy that do you, you do investigations and I'm sure you guys all chat with each other. Now, what do you think mm-hmm. is going on with our government? And, you know, we have the first one in, that we've had in, what, 50, 60 years where they go before mm-hmm. Congress and they're starting to maybe release the, the military. I mean, when has the military actually said, we don't really know what it is? And, and what did you think of all of that? It was theater. Um, that's the best way to, to sum it up. Um, some of the questions were good. 
notably the um, you know Congressman um, Gallagher from Wisconsin and Carson from Indiana. Um, they had some really good questions. Thank you, uh, Carson, for uh, saying nice things about the Mutual UFO Network. Um, but the the responses from Bray and Moultrie from the you know the defense side of it was it, it was it was awkward. It was puzzling. Um, some of the things that they 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 said made me scratch my head uh, when they were asked about certain things, which. Anybody um, with a, like the, the the lowest level of interest in the UFO phenomena that wants to to look into some of the bigger cases out there, Malmstrom Air Force Base um, that had nuclear weapons, um, you know, about 50 years ago was uh, visited. Uh, there was an incursion over the base, and uh, the nuclear weapons all switched off, and um, that's a factual account. Something was over the base. And all these nuclear weapons switched off. There are so many firsthand accounts from the base. This isn't something, this isn't hearsay. This is a factual event that actually happened. Um, and yet, they, the two gentlemen um, from the Defense Intelligence Agency, they seem to be unaware of that event. <clears throat> the other thing um, that they were unaware of was the, the Wilson memo, the Admiral Wilson, who was, in fact, the, the head of their department, at one time, I think it was 2002, he asked for um, to see some of the black budget uh, projects that were being worked on, and he was told that he didn't have a need to know. And 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 that's a factual thing. He actually asked. There's a memo of there that indicates that this happened, and yet they seem to be unaware of that. And also, um, the when Moultrie was asked about. Um, Project Blue Book, he, they also asked him, are you aware of anything prior to Project Blue Book? And he said uh, he, that there wasn't anything prior to Project Blue Book. And then he said, well, maybe something with Roswell or whatever. But Project Blue Book was the third incarnation of the Air Force's official investigation into the phenomena. Project Sign and Project Grudge preceded it. And uh, he had no knowledge of that. Now, I'm not just... You know, I'm not going to, you know, um, be upset that somebody, say, in the general public might not know about a few of these things. But this is his wheelhouse. You know, this is this is stuff he should absolutely be aware of. And, you know, they were claiming that um, him and Bray, that they, they really had no uh, knowledge or information about this. Now, you know, I have two two thoughts about this, um, why, why that that was the case. One is um they don't know which is really troubling um oh, because yeah. mm -hmm. because what I, what what is the data that they're looking at just to, what was reported to them in the last year directly that's kind of uh, uh having a very thin um scope there or the other thought i had was well maybe they do know about these things maybe they know about a lot of things but if you were to ask them for example are you aware of Malmstrom Air Force Base and the UFO and the, the nukes going, turning off. And if they said, yes, you know, we're aware of that, maybe that means that um, somebody would demand them give information on that that they knew or have an opinion on it. You know, even if they were asked for an opinion on it, that's an official statement from a governmental agency. 
um, on uh, on a UFO event. And so maybe it's just best for them to to play dumb and say, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And that way they're not held accountable for their perspectives. You know, I've heard that the government also, because they have a lot of unknown craft, they use UFOs as an excuse to cover up what they have. Have you heard that one before? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's it, it's kind of a funny thing that, you know, okay, so we fly something that, you know, that is top secret, and if anybody sees it, we'll call it a UFO, and then we'll say that anybody who sees UFOs, uh, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> you know, know. It's this perfect cover-up. <laughs> you, yeah. you think that's I, I I believe it. There was a big incident that took place in Illinois not that long ago, I think it was, and all these police officers and people saw this triangular craft, and it was not far from a base, and I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if that really came from the base. You know, you kind of speculate, and then it would, oh, mm-hmm. we don't we, we don't have anything up there. And even like what happened in, in Phoenix, when was that? That was back in mm-hmm. the 90s, wasn't it? 97 for Phoenix. And, yeah, and then Tinley Park, if anybody wants to look up the Illinois thing, that is, yeah, the, the key word to look up. Mm-hmm. So I kept thinking, you know, I definitely believe there's UFOs and, and things visiting us, but I was wondering... I wonder if that's just a government, you know, like a uh, military craft. And they're just going to say, well, we don't know what it is. Flares, a bunch of flares. But (laughs) maybe they're bold enough to test it right in front of people. And people are going to say UFO. And then, of course, they deny it. You think Mm -hmm. in any way that's maybe some of the triangular ones? I've heard this from other military people. Those are ones that we have or maybe, I don't know. You know, it could be. Um, there is the, the work of uh, David Marler. He was a former Illinois MUFON uh, state director, and his passion is uh, triangular UFOs. In fact, he wrote a, a great book on it um, called Triangular UFOs, uh, An Estimate of the Situation, where he points out that, um, you know, to say that these triangle UFOs are are from our military it is a very nice, clean explanation, and it would seem to make sense um, in many ways, except the glitch is that people have been reporting triangular UFOs for decades, even going back to the 40s. Mm. So, um, so that, that becomes an interesting uh, quandary there that, you know, it, even if during, you know, a, right around the turn of uh, the century, 20th and the 21st, maybe that we had developed something like that. You know, 50 years earlier, that doesn't sound very likely that we were doing, we had that technology back then. That's a good point. I didn't I didn't know about, uh, I guess I don't follow it that well. I just thought, well, maybe some of the triangular ones could be, especially since they're flown near bases and people are witnessing them, and maybe not. Maybe they're from another place. Where do you think that these beings are coming from are they coming from do they are they able to bend space and how do they get here do you have a speculation on that so i i think that there's not just one them um flying around i i think that uh, there's probably quite a complicated um, variety of of uh, of cultures uh out there in space and you know you think so 
you know, with the the number of potentially habitable worlds, and given you know the nearly 14 billion years uh, of time, it's very possible that there are some spacefaring civilizations out there, even a couple hundred years in advance of ours. It is probably gonna you're probably gonna find a civilization that's able to travel to our planet from wherever they're from in this galaxy, um, but you know, you think too that it's possible that some of these civilizations are thousands of years in advance of ours, maybe even potentially millions mm-hmm. ahead, years ahead of ours, and that with life springing up probably all through uh, the universe, um, that even within this universe, without even having to um, speculate on anything being interdimensional or time travel or whatever. I just think if you take enough planets out there, give enough time, you're going to find all of these spacefaring civilizations um, contacting each other. And then, you know, then then it's quite a a complicated thing out there. I don't think we just have, there's just one species out there and it's visiting our world. No, I don't Um, believe that. Sorry, go ahead. And and I know it is quite a jump. You know, it's interesting. I find it, almost jarring to jump from talking about the UFO phenomena in general to talk about uh, contact phenomena because, I mean, you really jump down the rabbit hole when it comes to um, the discussion of people's contact with with beings. And um, I give credence to that more than so. You know, I've had some weird things happen in my life. But, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You know, it's a very interesting discussion to have because you can just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole and start talking about, you know, different dimensions and whether these beings are physical or whether they're pure consciousness appearing in our physical. And, you know, it's it's a lot. It can it can get a lot very quickly when you start to, to ruminate on the, the greater reality. You know, it was of, uh, what's wasn't... Going on. I think it was Paul Hellyer, wasn't he the former defense minister of Canada? Um, yeah. He made this past, statement. Yeah. He made the statement that he said there were tw- at least twelve. He felt there were twelve different races that were visiting mm-hmm. us, and I even think he said there were two types of grays and something like that. So everybody, like the grays, are the poster child for all of it, aren't they? Everybody says, "Oh, it's <laughs> a gray," and it's like I yeah. gotta believe there's people have seen what they call the Nordics. At least they, you know, the ones that seem to have the the blonde, uh, blonde hair, blue eye type beings that look more mm-hmm. human. And then there's just been many, many, many. And I look back at some of these old reports, like back in the '60s and the '50s, and the craft looks so much different compared to what we see now. I mean, do you think there's been a change in that? Have you looked back and, you know, they saw these things that look more simple in a way? You know, um, amongst the variety of of different theories is one that says that the phenomena's appearance is um, related to our um, understanding of what's going on or our impressions, our speculation. So uh, an example being like in the 1890s, people were talking about airships, like basically seeing these zeppelins flying around the United States and um, the brain could grasp that, uh, you know, of people living in that time. 
And as you know, technology advanced and modern civilization, uh, modernization of civilization, then um, the craft also changed to meet the expectations of what they should look like uh-huh. uh, to people. Which, which then, you know, I mean, and the first thought is, well, then that just means that people are making stuff up and that they're just using available, um, you know, iconography to, to explain what's going on. And, but the, you know, alternative theory is, is that the beings, um, you know, they're, they, you know, if they can fly here from another planet or another dimension, I really don't even know if their ships need to necessarily be aerodynamic. It's possible a cube could function just as well to them as something sleek. But um, maybe it's the, you know, that people on Earth think, well, the, their craft should be sleek, that, you know, to be able to fly through the air easily. Mm. So that's what we see. And it's the aliens <laughs> are, are, are letting us see them in a, such a way that we can understand them to some degree. I know it's a lot. Yes, it is. But that's very interesting. And I guess I never thought of that in that perspective because uh, I wondered why, you know, the reports, but, you know, even back in the 1800s and before that, they had reports of crafts that were seemed more advanced, but it just seemed like there was more also a mix of, I remember this incident that they, this story about a, a deputy pulled up on a vehicle and he saw these little things running around and it actually blasted off and I'm thinking well the the UFOs we see now don't really blast off they just kind of hover down take back off and they run on some kind of force that doesn't seem to emit some kind of fuel Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know every incident that goes on in the world that's reported even to this day so maybe there's still maybe there's just different races with different technology and we just don't hear about it maybe it was reported do you think it was more reported more honestly at one time back in the 40s and 50s I don't know and and I know what you're talking about with the Socorro sighting Um, yeah it uh, the with the the UFO blasting off like a rocket um, in effect but I, I, I don't know. Um, the media. Uh, well, I, I think I, 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 I'll say I think that people are honestly reporting things as they perceive them. It's just the, the language of perception has changed. And so I, I think they're, you know, people are, are, are accurately reporting things to the best of their ability. It's just perceptions change on how to describe things. Okay. I think it's uh, it's really fascinating the, the the subject of UFOs and I got interested when I was a kid and my mother was very open to things and one night we looked out the window and we looked to the east over the horizon and this was back in the 60s and I saw what appeared to be like a pretty good sized Hard to figure out the shape, but it was pretty good size. It was at the tree line, and that was several miles away. And it looked like a half dollar from there. And there were several different types of lights that were on it. Not all at once. And it slowly moved from north to south. And I asked my mom, I said, what do you think that is? Because she was outside, and, and I was looking through the bedroom window. And she goes, I don't know. And her and my dad watched it as it eventually moved across. You know, and it's like, well, it can't be a satellite. It'd be too low, and it's flying on the horizon. 
no plane would take that long to get across. It could have been a helicopter, I guess. Didn't have the lights of that, but um, it just seemed to move at a very slow, even pace and took its time. And to this day, it's still a mystery. I don't know what it was, but that's what that's what kind of got me going about wanting to find out more about these kind of things, you know, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us. Yeah, when you see something, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, when you see something, it's not speculation anymore. You know, uh, you you see this thing and. And, and it's just, you know, wondrous. And then it, it's hard to retreat from um, that sense of wonder. And you always, you know, you're always left questioning, like, you know, like the two big questions in life, you know, are, you know, what happens after we die? And are we alone in the universe? You know, why not um, spend your time investigating one or both of those? Yeah, I think, uh, why not entertain all possibilities? And that's kind of what I do. It's like, I know a lot of people get into the UFO thing and that's really, that's that. But I also get into everything that goes along, anything that I hear about. I'm curious Uh because I want to see if there's some kind of answers or at least hear what people have to say. And you said you've had some unusual experiences with different things. Is there anything you want to, Bill, is there anything you want to share with me at all? Or I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll just, uh, I'll just dip my toe in this uh, and say, my very first memory in life, age two, um, in my uh, crib, um, a little gray guy, it was nighttime, a little gray guy walked into my room, walked up to the crib, big black eyes, stared down at me. I uh, screamed for my parents um, who were in the next room, and my mother responded, um, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. She didn't come into the room or anything like that. And um, then after a moment, the little gray guy walked out. This wasn't anything that I remembered years later or was some sort of fuzzy memory. No, it's very, I very clearly remember. It was so shocking that it like burned into my memory at that time and I never forgot it. And, um, you know, I uh, eventually, uh, I, I had a lot of weird things happen to me in my life. I wrote a couple books about them, Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds, and Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide, a sequel to it. Um so, uh, you know, those books are out there at Amazon, Walmart, uh, Barnes & Noble online, that sort of a thing, if if it's okay if I plug that. But, um, no, I think it's if not. Anybody wants Sorry, to let hear... me, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to hear more about my weird stuff, uh, you can look there. I don't think it's weird. <laughs> I don't think it's weird. You know, I had an encounter as well when I was at my mom's house in 1992, and I uh, had this desire to meet a gray being. And I, I don't know, I, th- I think if you focus on your thoughts on something, you can bring it forward, perhaps, in life sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just kept repeating, I don't know why I chose this night and why I chose it at my mom's house, because I used to visit my son over there on the weekends. But he wasn't with me uh, that weekend. But I was back in my old bedroom, and I kept repeating, I want to see a gray, I want to see a gray, I want to see a gray. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I sat up, and... At first, I didn't notice anything. And then I noticed in the left corner of the room by the door, there was about a four-foot creature with big eyes. And it was standing there. And then it kind of like, I didn't even see it walk. It kind of glided, it looked like, towards the bed. And then it was right at the foot of the bed on the left side. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't move. It's like I was frozen. And I started to panic a little bit, thinking, 
I hope I can breathe, you know, but my arms and everything in my body was, was held tight. And then it kind of glided over to the right side of the bed to where I was sleeping on the right side. And I thought, don't come any closer. And it stopped. And then there was a thought that popped in my head and it said, if you have no intention of hurting this being, he will let you go. And I said, no, I just wanted to see if they're real, is what I thought back, you know, like something was communicating. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got that thought out, then all of a sudden I could slowly start turning my neck and I got more relaxed because my arms, were, I couldn't fully use them, but I, you know, you felt like you were being released from whatever was being done to you. And that's all I remember. And I snapped, I went to sleep and I was out till like nine or 10 the next morning. This happened like maybe at one o'clock in the morning. And I thought for the longest time, oh, it must be a dream. And it just hit me that you don't remember a dream unless you wake up, not this vivid, unless you wake up right mm-hmm. after it. A dream is only clear for a short period of time, and it's usually when you wake up right after it. And it felt yeah, yeah, so yeah. real. So in my feeling that I think I was visited at that time, because I desired it, and they showed up. Mm-hmm. Hey, here we are. Yeah. And I'm guessing you never tried it again. No, for some reason I haven't. <laughs> I don't think I. I don't think I want to. <laughs> Just wanted to see if they were there. Maybe someday I will, again. But um, you've probably heard a lot of abduction stories. I mean, MUFON investigates those things as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's a separate track, sort of outside the, the typical uh, investigations that we do. But, yeah, um, people report their abduction accounts to or contact accounts to MUFON. And then also um, a lot of times people will just um, skip MUFON and and report things directly to me, um, knowing that I've had some weird things happen and, you know, they just want somebody to talk to, but they don't want it on record. Um, So, yeah, I, I, you know, at this point since 93, I've met hundreds uh, of of people who've claimed contact experiences. Do you think that those people, there's a lot of theories behind it, but do you think those people are kind of chosen for a special reason? Is it, is it just random? No, you know, when, when that question comes up, like to an experiencer, somebody who's had a contact experience, and, and the question is, you know, what makes, why you? What makes you interesting to them? What makes you special? Well, you know, it's a hard question to answer because a lot of times the person that's having these type of experiences doesn't know any, doesn't know any more than the person asking the question. It's happening to them, but it's not like they have the answers. And, and I, and I point to this, um, that if I alone have met, uh, you know, 200 plus easily uh, people who've had this type of experience, who claim this type of experience. How many people out there um, that there must have been who've had this type of experience that would never tell anybody about it or just simply that I haven't met them or heard about or whatever? Um, You know, thousands, what, millions maybe? You know, it's a hard number to gauge. And when when you expand the scope that far, then you'd, you'd, you know, what is a shared trait of, say, like a million people have this type of experience? What would be that shared trait um, amongst all of them? Probably nothing. 
you know. I mean, some people might have some things in common with other people in that group, but it's such a wide spectrum that you're going to have a, a great diversity of people having this type of experience. And so maybe, you know, just may, maybe there is a sense of randomness to it. Maybe some of the other far out theories, um, there's something to them. Maybe they're, they follow family lines um, and have been doing so for generations. I mean, no, I know it runs in my mother's side of the family. Um, also, there's, you know, if you, again, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you go, there are some people that say um, that certain people agree to have this type of thing happen to them before they even um, inhabit their bodies on Earth. Like right before they're born, you know, they, they know that they're going to be in contact with these beings because they have some kind of relationship with them already. And then, you know, then they're here, they are on earth and they have these type of encounters. I don't know. There's, there's all sorts of theories. Yeah, and I, I tend, don't think it's an easy one to answer. I don't think it is either, but I, I tend to believe the one you just mentioned, because I think we do make choices. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there are some people that have said, and, and Whitley Strieber might even been one of them that in a way they, they felt like they were doing this for a reason. Like there was something greater than them. And there was a man by the name of Jim Maroney. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was taken in a truck stop in Canada in 1987, pulled right out of his car. Nobody else saw the, the craft, but under hypnosis, he remembered a lot of it. And he really felt it was an agreement. And he, was, he actually said he sat down and he talked with him, which is one of the, seems to be the rare things that people don't remember. Um, and they explained what they were doing. And he said when they left, he cried because he said they felt like family. And I don't know if too many yeah. people feel that way. A lot of people probably feel violated, you know, but <laughs> maybe it puts a little different spin on, on what's going on. And that's just with the grace. I mean, everything falls on the grace. There's so many others that are probably here as well, but they seem to be getting all the attention. And are they the ones you think that there are other ones that could be taking people as well? Sure. Why not? Um, there's a, you know, a, one of the things that I said for a long time, and Paulo Harris, a, a, a famous UFO and contact experiencer investigator, um, her, her tagline is uh, all of the above. And she's like, you know, when she's asked, you know, do you think, you know, the, in this case, do you think the Greys are taking people? Yes. Do you think the reptilians are taking people? Yes. Do you think the Nordics are taking people? Yes. You know, all of the above. You know, are they from the future? You know, are they time travelers? Sure, why not? Are they, you know, from another dimension, another planet? Sure, yes. Probably all these things are happening. I mean, you can have a confirmation bias of a particular theory and, and really make a great case for just about any angle of, of what's going on. And so the one of the logical places that you can go to is like, well, there's probably a lot of different things going on all at the same time, and there's not just a single explanation for everything. Well, it's got to be several different things. And uh, I also wanted to ask you about, do you feel like there are malevolent beings? Or, and do you feel like some of them are benevolent? How do you, do you, have you gotten any impression on what that might be since you've talked to so many different people? Okay, so, um, uh, if, if, um, I'm going to be very subjective in my answer 
and with the understanding that there may be others with a, 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 an entirely different take. I, I think that the beings, uh, I'll start off by saying this, because this is sort of a two-part answer, and, and I'm only scratching the surface, because that's a very complex question. Um, I think that the beings respect us, like mentally, like or on a soul level. Spiritually, you know, namaste, you know, you know, the, the divine in me, the divine in you, there's that sort of spiritual soul respect, spiritual soul connection. And I think on that level, benevolent. The impressions of malevolence, I think, come when um, they don't treat the physical form with the same sort of sanctity that we do. We, you know, we, our ego clings to our physicality, how we look and how we feel and how much money we have and, you know, all of these ego, ego, ego things that are attached to the physical world. I don't think they really, the beings in general, this is, um, you know, this is a painting of very broad strokes and, and overgeneralizing. I don't think they have that same sort of materialism that we do this sense of clinging to our bodies and our possessions. So with that being said, they, although they, they, they cherish our souls and think that's, you know, uh, you know, uh, something to respect, I think that they feel they can just simply take our bodies and do whatever they want with them because it's just an object. Um, and they, it probably is mysterious to them that we also don't treat our bodies just completely as objects. You know, we're not our bodies, we're not our possessions, we're our souls, and that's what they respect. But they think they can do whatever they want to us physically because, uh, you know, because of that. And that's, I think, a lot of what happens with people is they're like, you know, how dare these beings do this to me? You know, they, they, how dare they mis mistreat me physically? And it's because, like I said, you know, to them, it's like why they're, they're probably thinking, why are you so hung up on this body? You know, you're only going to have it for a few years. <laughs> and, and 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 another layer to that, and I don't know if I want to go too far beyond this, is but I but I think that there are malevolent beings out there that aren't necessarily the same. Like say um, a, a gray being comes down in a flying saucer, abducts somebody, and they there's that experience. I think when an event like that happens, it sort of thins the veil um, in that person's life, exposing them to a broader variety of potentially paranormal things happening, that it's not like necessarily um, the grays um, that are responsible for the follow-up, like the uh, maybe the, you know, you, you get abducted and afterwards, you know, you have some poltergeist activity in the house. You have some, um, a whole lot of weird synchronicities. Uh, you maybe have some precognition on things. Maybe, you know, just things are sort of psychic, psychically discombobulated in your life after an event like this. And, and, and I think some of that can exhibit itself in negative ways. Um, and, and I don't think it's necessarily that the beings are causing it. I think it's just in the wake of having a cosmic event the veil is thinned and paranormal things um, follow in that wake. And therefore, um, you know, maybe even things, you know, outside of my scope in terms of uh, spirits that may not be um, 
uh, operating at a peaceful level, you know, possibly, you know, they, they see that as an invitation to, to, to come in too. Yeah. Again, this is, this is, we're, no, I totally we're going down the rabbit hole really no, fast. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I've heard this before that, yeah. and I've had friends tell me this, that after they've had visitations and they don't even remember the abduction, they just know what UFO is, they saw it, and then they don't remember some things, and, and then all of a sudden they were had more psychic abilities and more spirits. So I know exactly what you're saying. It seems like they open that part of our brain, in my opinion, that is shut off, that doesn't allow us to see things. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's what psychic people are. We're all a little bit psychic. But if you if you open your mind to it, and then if you also, if you're a person that maybe delves into negativity, then you may draw that to you. And that could be many mm-hmm. reasons that I think, uh, you know, if people consume a lot of alcohol or if they're doing drugs or even medications, those are all things that can open the door to, I think, these things. So if you get a visitation from an alien being and you become more psychically aware and this doorway opens, you probably are drawing some of that stuff in just with how you are as a being. And that's kind of my take on it. And I also would say that you had mentioned that um, these beings will, will take us and they respect our souls, but maybe not so much our bodies. And I guess my take on it has been that I think it's part of an agreement. This is where I come from. I think we make these agreements. We, we have free will to make agreements. And, and I don't think we're just born into these bodies. And this is the first time our soul is here. So before we come here, we're making agreements to do all kinds of things, to run into certain people, whatever, to help us advance. And so one of the theories that you said might be a little out there is that we make these agreements with these beings, for example, the greys. And then when we get here, of course, we don't want to remember because what fun would it be if we knew everything that was going to go on in our life? And they're wondering, well, how can you not remember? Oh, that's right. You guys take that little forgetness before you come here. So you don't know that you're going to be taken and all these other things are going to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but that's what I kind of believe is that we make these agreements on a soul level Uh with everything that goes on. All the people we encounter, sometimes maybe some of it happens, we draw it in. But for the most part, I'm one of those people that believe we kind of bring that to us. And we, we have an outline of how our life is going to go so we can gain wisdom and move on. That's just my two cents. Sorry, Bill. That's that's. I thought I would go there with that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But so you've had weird things happen, and mm-hmm. how do you how do you feel? Is has it affected you? These different things. Are you a different human being than what you were at one time? Well, that, that's a. That's a great question. Um, a fellow experiencer, a gentleman by the name of um, Sandy Nichols, had once asked me, he's like, do you, do I ever wish that all these weird things had never happened to me? And my response to him was, I'm like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't recognize myself. <laughs> you know, my very first memory, age two, and I had weird stuff at four, seven, nine, ten, uh, heavily in my teen years, uh, uh, slackened off a little bit in the twenties and, you know, but it's still going, you know, I still have, you know, not just the contact experiences, which I've, I've had, but other also a whole host of different paranormal things. You know, I, to say that I've been changed, I don't, 
you know, I, I've been on a journey ever since I was born, um, <laughs> practically. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I would not recognize me uh, outside of my experiences. I, you know, I, it would be funny to think that I wouldn't believe that there might be extraterrestrial life out there and not get into this topic at all. But I mean, it was, it was a calling right from the beginning of my life. And, um, I, I, I definitely feel that I've grown, um, in ways through my life that wouldn't have been as easily accessible had I not been so immersed in studying this phenomena all the while that, that it's also happening to me. Um, I, I think of even though I've had some unpleasant experiences in my life, um, that you know it's definitely been a net gain to have to have been on this journey. Yeah, and I think you know, in a way, you could also look at it and say, had you not had those experiences, which could have been prearranged, you wouldn't have been mm-hmm. on this journey to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, or was it just by accident? Well, they happen to show up for some reason. They like me, they took me, or they messed with me. And maybe it's part of a bigger picture that steps beyond. I mean, who's to say, right? With all of that, I guess, right? Uh, my, you know, um, out of my two books, I'll just say the, the first book is about growing up, having these type of experiences. The second book is how, they, how the beings uh, directly interfere and manipulate with your, your life. Um, they care about where you live, where you work uh who who your love partners are um it, it's a strange sort of invasive thing um you don't hear it talked about a lot because it takes a long time to unpack these types of stories but yeah it, it seems like they they take a very deep interest in the directions you know, I, um i had them very directly um scare off a, a woman i was dating back in 1995 wow they they appeared and um she was not ready for it, and uh, they didn't like her. And um, yeah, she broke up with me pretty much right away. Um, but then they also directed me, um, you know, to to people that um, that that were better fits for me. And it's it's just strange that they would even care at all. So you don't? Do you have a negative opinion of these things, or do you have? How do you see these beings? Um, overall positive i i think it all falls into you know the more issue you have with them means the more materialistic view you have on life um and and i can't speak for other people's experiences um positive negative or neutral but in my life you know anything sort of spiritual has been positive for the most part but uh, a lot of the physical stuff has been, um, you know, they, they, they feel that they can take pretty much complete license with the, the, the physical parts of, of, of life. To the way they take you, the way they do things to you, the way they draw and uh, repel people in your life and feel that they, they feel that they have complete license to do whatever they want. Hmm. And... Do you feel like maybe you have some children running around? This is a good question in left field, but do you think there's any little Bill aliens running around out there? I have no, I have no idea. Um, that yeah, that that's a whole other <laughs> side of the the phenomena. Yeah, I don't know. 
So why do you think, just off the top of your head, I mean, there's probably many reasons, but why, what are they taking us for? Is it to procreate or is it probably several reasons? Or is it obviously, you can only study people for so many thousands and thousands of years, or they, some people feel like they're even being programmed, not programmed, but maybe being gift, given some kind of knowledge that they're not aware of or some ability maybe down the road. Any of those things? Have you heard any of those things? Sure, sure, sure. All of that. Um, with respect to being seated with knowledge that may be important one day, you know, the general theme of that tends to be that it's um, disaster related, that in case of nuclear war or in case of ecological disaster or, you know, one negative scenario or another, they'll, um, you know, they'll step in and try to stop whatever negative thing is happening to our planet that's going to ruin it. And that the people that have been experiencers, lifelong experiencers, who've received um, knowledge, information from them, um, it's locked in their head somewhere. And that at one point in life, these beings are going to unlock that when when the time becomes ready. Now, the, the, the one thing about that that is um, – interesting, I guess, is that a lot of people who claim that they are aware that they've been taught things on board, um, um, they pass away. They, you know, mm -hmm. so, so, you know, how good of prognosticators yeah. are these beings um, if, uh, if they, they say, you know, here, you're going to be important in the future. Um, just hold on to this knowledge until that time. And then the people die. So they must be like just giving this knowledge to just about everybody that they have uh, come in contact with um, because they, you know, just some of them, you know, will pass on. And um, so it's up to those who are left to possibly be around at whatever moment some disaster happens, which also means to me that maybe they don't know for sure whether any given disaster is going to happen. It's just some insurance policy they take just in case this happens, <laughs> you know, we'll press this button and you'll remember, all of you people will remember it. In case this other thing happens, we'll press this other button and this, these other memories will flood out and you'll know what to do. You don't think yeah, that so it, they're preparing mm -hmm. us, because I've heard this from other people as well, you don't think they're preparing us for, like when, when they're going to make contact, public contact with us. Do you think that maybe they're preparing certain people that could be yeah, another button <laughs> that they press and unlock those memories for, for when that time happens. Because some yeah, of the people, I, I, go I, ahead. I, I don't know that the beings even know for sure um, what the ultimate scenario is going to be that will um, make uh, a, a percentage of the population need to, to, to wake up to whatever they've been taught. But like I said, it feels like an insurance policy. You know, all sorts of things get loaded into, you know, the, the subconscious and whatever scenario pops up where it becomes important to remember and respond, those memories will come pouring out. Well, it's certainly a, a topic that I think there's so many different answers to. And you and I both pretty much believe it's real because we've had different experiences. Yours probably much more than mine. And, you know, how do you prove even what you've 
saw, I mean, how's people, how are people going to believe what you saw when you were a kid? And unless there's a way to extract that under hypnosis, and is that even believable for a lot of people? So those stories are going to be people that, you know, unless you've experienced it yourself or somebody really close to you, there's a good chance a lot of people are going to dismiss it. But I really think in a way we're being, we're being prepared for a day when there will be contact and when the majority of humanity is willing to perhaps be open to that. Do you think that we're going to be approached at some point? Well, yeah, that's, that's a million dollar question, right? Whether or not um, we'll come to the conclusion and, and, and declare it a truth that we're being visited first or whether the beings will come down first and say, you know, you guys aren't getting there fast enough, so we're just here to tell you that, that we exist, and this is important for you to know that right now. I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's one of those things will happen, and I think that, um, you know, a generation from now that um, it will seem comical that we ever wondered whether or not there was life in space. Mm. Boy, I hope you're right on that one, Bill. Anything else you want to tell the listeners today? Mm-mm. No, yeah, this has been, yeah, um, quite a comprehensive uh, conversation. If <laughs> I will say, um, as I always do, if uh, if if you've seen uh, a UFO, uh, please report it at MUFON.com. If you want to become a UFO investigator yourself, there's no better place to do it than with MUFON. And uh, you can find information at the website as well. Um, if you are... Um, interested in receiving our Michigan MUFON newsletter, attending our Michigan MUFON Zoom meetings and um, uh, live events, which aren't as often as the Zoom meetings. Um, you can go to our website and find out how to do that, mimufon.org, which is Michigan MUFON's website, mimufon.org. And you can find out how to get involved on a local level there. Or if you're out of state, uh, whatever uh, state you live in, I'm sure they have a local chapter that you can join there too. Thank you so much. My special guest, Bill Konkoleski with Michigan MUFON. He's the director. He's been there since 2004, I believe you said. And yeah, we, state director. Mm-hmm. You, we so appreciate that you took the time to talk to us and share all the things. I don't think you probably plan on sharing some of those things, but thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think so I would and you know if if you ever want to have just a pure conversation a deep dive on some of the really weird things I'd be more than happy to do that sometime that was going to be my next question after we were done because I want to do this again <laughs> and I want to really do a deep dive if you don't mind talking about those things and I, I, I love to do it great then we'll plan on doing that and uh, thank you very much Bill Oh, thank you.